Welcome to the Refuge Weekly Podcast. We are a church in and for the city of Orange in Southern California. The heart of Refuge OC is to introduce and reintroduce people to a clearer vision of God. To learn more about us and how you can get involved, please visit us at refugeoc.com. And now, here is our latest message. Acts chapter 2, Acts is in the New Testament right after the Gospels. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are those Gospel stories that tell the life and death of Jesus. And then we get to the book of Acts where things begin. Today is not just any Sunday on the church calendar. It is, it is a big Sunday of the year that we cannot miss making mention of. And today is called Pentecost Sunday. It's a big day, big deal for the life of the church because here's the deal. Think about this. Penta, right? You're thinking to yourself, I know that, like Pentagon, you know, you've heard about that shape. You've heard about that building in Washington. We think five, but actually Pentecost comes from the Greek for 50. And so the Jews, when they counted, would take seven weeks after, after the Sabbath day, not after the Sabbath day, after um, Oh, there, there we go. Yes, Passover, excuse me. After Passover, and blanking in my Jewish history in this moment, seven weeks after Passover plus one day. So they take the seven times seven, 49 plus one, and you are impressed with my math skills already, and I love it. So that's Pentecost. For them, it was a regular part of the season of the year. It was a season of the year that it was built with harvest in mind. So as you were out there harvesting the grain in your fields or whatever else you were growing, you would take a portion of it, and some of you would perhaps even travel to Jerusalem and sell celebrate Passover as one of the high festivals, the high feast points of the year. And so we even have an image of what the temple might have even looked like at the time of Passover and what it would have looked like. They would have brought their things to the temple. They would have even made some incense. And you can kind of see, they like bring all this stuff to say, thank you, God, for making this year plentiful. So it was a regular part of the calendar. And so when we get to our story today, and when Luke, who's writing this history, this historical account, and when he starts things off with on the day of Pentecost, it was a regular part of the Jewish calendar. So it's not just a random day. So here we go. We begin the story in Acts chapter 2 with how Luke is telling us what happened on that day. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly... A sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. Push pause right there. Capture the imagery in your mind. Put yourself in that room. They're in an upper room setting. We, we learn, if you were to read the previous chapter, Acts chapter 1, where this book begins, and Luke tells his history. He's telling us the story that the disciples who heard from Jesus, that they're supposed to wait. You remember how Jesus gets off the cross into the grave, and then he's raised from the tomb, and he shows himself to his disciples at various times. Some he shows himself along the way to Emmaus, this one city that they were walking to. Some disciples he shows on the side of the seashore, and he comes to them, and he proves that he no longer is in the grave. Some, he even does this like only Jesus kind of thing where he just appears amongst a room full of them and he shows them the hands and his feet and they believe. But he says to them, I am going back to the Father, but I'm sending someone who will be much powerful, much more powerful, who will be your comforter. He will be your defender, as our song said this morning. He will be the one that will bring my presence known throughout the earth. 
So he's, they're told in Acts chapter 1 to wait. And so in Acts chapter 2, where we have this happening, they're all together in one place. They're in a room, and they're waiting. And the imagery is interesting, isn't it? The, in, the imagery of they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. That's what verse 3 tells us. I don't know about you. It sounds kind of weird. It sounds kind of interesting. Like, what's, how do we make sense of this? Because I don't know about you. Have you ever been in a room where it just seemed like tongues of fire began to rest on people? You're like, how do I, what do I do with this one? Well, you have to understand, every time that you read a piece of literature, when was it written? What was, the, what was the setting of the day? Because any book that you love to read, you probably know that the author has a setting. Perhaps your author, your favorite author, was just from the past 20 years. But perhaps you have a favorite author from last century. And they might use words that sound like last century. Or if you read here in the book of Luke, he's using words and phrases that would make a whole lot of sense in that first century context. So for the Roman Empire, when you hear about and talk about tongues of fire, oh, they knew that. Because this week, I've been thinking about Roman coins, just like you thought I would be, right? So Roman coins. This next image I want to show you on the screen here is just kind of like a, a, a spattering mix of Roman coins that we would have found in the Roman Empire at use at various times. And we're going to zero in on the two that are on the right. And the next slide will show you something pretty amazing. So if you flip to the next slide, you'll see these, these, these coins even bigger. And if you can even kind of Zero in on your eyesight. I don't know where you're at here in the, in the room or even watching online. But if you see the people that are in these coins, you see little tongues of fire or even little fire bursts that are above their head. What was the point of that? Even the Romans knew that when they minted their coins, the sign of fire over someone's head means that they are connected to the divine. That changes the way that we read this story. Because it's like, I don't even know what to do with this. Is this story that just seems weird and wacko? Or is this something very powerful going on here? And so Luke, as he's telling this story, uses imagery that would have been known to the people that he was writing to at the time that can seem foreign to us in our context. But for them, they knew exactly what he was talking about. And all of them, we're going to be, continue reading there in verse 4, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, the sound from that room, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language, Parthians, Medes, and Elamites? Residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed. And perplexed, they turned and asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. 
I'm not sure if that's the comedy relief in this moment, or perhaps drunk people acted the same way back then as they do today. And you're wondering, like, what's really going on? And then Peter stands up and wants to clarify for all the people who are hearing and listening, even what's happening in this miraculous moment. And he says, and we continue to read, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd, Fellow Jews, and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, and he reaches into the Old Testament and quotes from the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams, even on my servants, both men and women. I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, will be saved. And that is where we complete our reading for today. We are just entered into that upper room experience where something miraculous and amazing is happening for these disciples and these followers of Jesus. They see what seems to be tongues of fire, but they also heard the rushing sound of a wind. And imagery speaks a lot for the people in the ancient context, probably even more so than for me and you. But if we were to read the imagery and what's happening here, and we go back to even those first few verses, and we hear that there was the sound of a violent wind and there was fire in that room, oh, that definitely speaks of the presence of God. Because the Old Testament tells us stories that when the people were being led out of Egypt, out of slavery, trying to find their way away from Pharaoh's oppression, that they were being led at night by a pillar of fire, and they were being led during the day by a cloud. But there was also a moment, even going further back than that, way back into Genesis, Back in the days when God put this world into motion, that he spoke the world into motion, and it was with his breath that he brought new life. So we see the imagery of what's happening here, and you're like, oh, I see what God is doing. He is doing something that he's always been doing. He's always bringing new life. But he's doing something even more, and I don't want you to miss this, because I think this is absolutely amazing. And we don't have it to read, but I'm just going to tell you the quick story. If you go back to Genesis chapter 11, back when things were weird and crazy, I call Genesis 1 through 11 the big stories, the ones where, like, the world gets put together. We hear stories of a flood, and we get Noah and his boat. We hear stories of Noah and his family, which isn't all that great. You should read it. It's crazy. The Bible may not always be PG. Then we get to these stories where the people begin to be so full of themselves, and God comes down and visits them to see what they're doing, and they figure out how to make bricks, and they say to themselves, let's build this tower. Let's build this tower so high that we can get to God. And God figures out something that's happening, and as the story is told to us, God comes down, and that's where he disperses them across the world gives them new languages, because if they're going to be together and make it all about themselves and not the worship of the one true God, then God wants to kind of disperse them around with different languages. That's the story of the Tower of Babel. You perhaps have heard that language before. But what happens here in the upper room when the Holy Spirit comes upon those early believers, he is reversing what happened at the Tower of Babel. 
when there was confusion and many languages being spoken and there was evil being done amongst the people, God is saying, I'm going to reverse that here in this moment in Acts chapter 2 with the bringing of the Holy Spirit that would rest upon his disciples that would go out from there to all people. I also think it's pretty amazing how we depict this scene in history. In our mind, I would imagine even right now for you, you probably are wondering, what would it have been like to be in that room? But if you painted an image of that, okay, I have some paintings to look at. And this is an art history class now. We're just switching gears. Here is a look at some of the ways artists have depicted the day of Pentecost moment in that upper room. So we're just going to flip through some of these images. You can kind of see, you see the, the dove in the, the top portion of the picture, which is the symbol of the Holy Spirit. And you see the little tongues of fire that are beginning to come out. And there are more than just 12 people in that room at the time. Some would say there would be around 120 you go to the next picture, you see what's happening here. You see like, just like, it's interesting how artists would have rendered things. And all these pictures, and if you head to the next one, you can see what's happening. This one I love. This is from a stained glass window in a church today that they want to depict what's happening. All right, go to the next one if you don't mind. I don't know if you noticed something really crazy. And it was told to me this week. I think it's just amazing. In the middle of every one of these pictures, and if you go to the next one, look at this. This is from a Greek Orthodox church. The imagery is that Mary is in the middle of every picture. Mary, the mother of Jesus. Why in the world would she be put front and center? Now, some of you are famous with other paintings in life. You're like, hey, give me some da Vinci. All right, you want da Vinci? Let's do da Vinci. Here's da Vinci. This is da Vinci's Last Supper. So if we back the train up all the way back before Easter... This is where Jesus is hanging out with his disciples, and this is da Vinci's rendering of what it would have looked like. Probably not as clean and cut as this would have been, but it's a great image for what it would have happened for Jesus and his disciples to get together for that last supper meal. But if you notice, as you have seen in even other renderings of this picture, Jesus is at the center. But in these other images, and I'll ask them to flip back and forth to the other ones that I showed you, Mary's in the middle. And why in the world would Mary get in the middle? Are we trying to be... Uh, matronistic in this moment? No. Here's why it's important. Because two reasons Mary's in the middle. First one is she becomes a placeholder for Jesus who's no longer there. Jesus has gone back to the Father, and so Mary is the one in the middle. And so the disciples are around her. That's, that's one explanation. Second explanation is this. Mary is the first person in the New Testament to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you think about it, Go back to, to Luke's other book, which would have been the one self-titled, Luke. If you go to that one, and you hear the early stories about Jesus about to be born. It's when the angel comes to Mary and tells her this story that you're going to become pregnant, not by the way most people get pregnant. It's going to be different because the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and you will bear the Son of God. So she is filled with the Holy Spirit, and then Jesus is born. In this upper room, they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and the imagery we have from history is that Mary's right there with them. And we're even told in Acts chapter 1 that Mary was there. So Mary's hanging out with all the hundred other 19 people, and they are waiting for the descending of the Holy Spirit in that moment. Now, you might have heard about the Holy Spirit at times. You might have even experienced him. 
He's that third person of the Trinity that sometimes gets a bad rap, the crazy one, the one you just don't know. When the Holy Spirit gets wild, you're like, what's going on right now? What am I supposed to do with this? We don't, we don't mind God the Father, and we're always okay with God the Son. But it's that third person of the Trinity sometimes that scares us because he has a power that we don't know about. He has a power to come upon us and see his will being done. We say goodbye to Jelenix just a few minutes ago. Um, we say hello to the Hansons for a weekend at least. This past week, I got to be in class in Portland, Oregon, and I took a drive with some friends because if you're in Portland, Oregon, you got to go see some nature. They have these things called trees, and it's green. It's crazy. It's amazing. You go into like these like forests, and you see waterfalls. I'm on the Columbia River Gorge, and we're just seeing these amazing things happen where, I don't know about you, the only place I notice that water gets its way done is in my house sometimes when there's water damage. I don't know if you've ever had water damage. Like, water will find a way, and you're like, I know. But when you're in the Columbia River Gorge, and you're seeing the beauty of the Columbia River, and you drive this thing, you will see waterfalls come out of nowhere. You're like, whoa, how did you do that? God just makes his way happen. I crossed the river, and I went over and said hello to some friends who used to be a part of Refuge, and they too were mad at the sermons, and they moved and left town. Just kidding. They moved. If you remember Nick and Melissa Mancias, I went and saw them across the river. Because I feel like the story of refuge is not just what's happening here in Orange. It's the story of what happens worldwide. Because we are part of a mission, a kingdom of heaven that exists all around the world. So it doesn't matter where we meet. We bring good news because this has happened. Because when Acts 2 existed and the story happened, it's not just for cute paintings. It's for us to go with the knowledge of Jesus Christ that, yes, he conquered the grave through the cross, but his spirit can live within us if we are interested in it, if we can be filled with the Holy Spirit and actually bring about good news because we are fixing what went wrong back in Genesis. We are in the business of allowing God's kingdom to come to bear and to bring fruition to a world that needs good news. So when I read this story, I don't just see weird things happening. I see a prophet from the Old Testament named Joel, who proclaimed a reality that, oh, I can't wait to see that happen. A day where sons and daughters will prophesy, and you're like, that sounds like weird language. I know. But sometimes we need to see the power of God move that may seem weird to us, but it is not weird to him. As I was on that Columbia River Gorge this past week and watching the waterfalls, and as I have already said, water will find a way. Water will find a way, and they have a whole lot more of it up there than we do. They had this thing, it like came from the sky, and it's called rain. It was beautiful. Like we were in the midst of the rain, and I was like, what is this? But as you see these waterfalls happen, it's because they come from sources that are filled with water that they never turn off. And nature gives us the best example of how God works. Water will find a way. But here's the deal. So will the kingdom. I was struck with a phrase this week that a friend said to me. He goes, we are living in a world where there is an unstoppable gospel at work. And I'm like, that's it. No matter what I do, God is on the move. God is in the business of bringing his kingdom, bringing his good news to everybody. And here's the thing. 
we get to be a part of it. It's no longer just a moment that I get to clock in and clock out at church on Sunday mornings. This time is great, but it's what happens outside these doors. It's where you bring good news to every conversation that you're in, to the family members that you're stuck with, to the friends that you keep, to the coworkers that you go clock in and clock out with. It's the schools that you attend. It's the people around us. God is using us to make his kingdom known because it didn't just happen way back then in an upper room for those people. His power can even happen for us today. So would we be available? Would we have our arms open and even our hearts available to see where God would move us on this path? Yes, he may take you to Idaho. Yes, he may even take you to Tennessee. Yes, he may take you somewhere outside this church building in Orange County this week. But where you go, where I go, we get to bring the good news of Jesus Christ. Because we know that the world needs it. We know that it's not right right now. We know that there's brokenness and pain. We know that there are people who have gone through the ringer and wonder, is God even alive? And you and me, we get to go around saying, oh yeah, he is. You may not see it right now, but he's at work. And there is an unstoppable gospel at work. Water will find a way, but so will God. It will surprise us. It will seem weird at times. But I don't want it any other way. I don't want to have a God that I can predict Because what's that? That's my own version of things. I want to follow a God who amazes me every single day. And the only thing I can respond with are those kinds of songs that say, amazing grace, how sweet that sound. Oh, God, would you keep working? And not just working here at church on Sunday mornings. Would you work through us, the church, wherever we go? So let's pray. Holy Spirit, You came and you visited some friends a long time ago in an upper room, and we pray that today you continue to do your good work through us. May we be available for your leading and your prodding the moments where we are sensing that we should say something, that we should do something, that we should act in a certain way to bring your kingdom to bear. And so, God, today would we be courageous enough to follow you where you will send us. It might look like sending us to some foster care kids next week. It might look like us bringing good news to the broken. It might look like us covering the cost of something for someone who doesn't have it right now. It might mean bringing peace where there is no peace. It might mean being prayerful, diligent people where we hear of hurting across this globe. And we wonder, are you alive and well, God? And you may, may you remind us that you are because your gospel is at work. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you fill us yet again? Would you surprise us this week? And would you continue to show up and show off in the ways that you do so well? We're grateful for what happened back then, but we want it again today. We want your power Not because we want to show off, but God, we want your power to see your kingdom come and your will be done. And it's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week. We believe in community and would love to connect with you. If you have any questions or would like to speak to a pastor, feel free to reach out to us on Instagram at RefugeChurchOC. We hope to see you again soon.